is a Bramble Jam podcast. Hi, I'm Bran, and I love Hallmark movies. I'm Dan, and I despise Hallmark movies. And I'm Nina Weinman, and I write Hallmark movies. And this is the Deck the Hallmark podcast. Oh boy. It's good super to be exciting. Here. Super exciting be day, Bram. It is an exciting day. It's one of those days you wake up and you're excited because you get to talk to somebody who is responsible for, I don't know, like all of the movies that we watch. So we're That's very right. excited about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty um, sure she has 20, 20 Hallmark movie writing credits, if I'm not mistaken. At does least that sound 20. right, Nina? Yeah, you know, I haven't done a count recently, but there's a lot. I mean, there's there's a bunch still to come. So the credits on there, I, I mean, they've been very, very good to me. And I have written a lot. The, uh, we have that we didn't really introduce her, but it kind of introduces herself, really. We have the lovely Nina Wyman with us joining us. Uh, she wrote Two for the Win, which you saw with Trevor Donovan uh, last Saturday. Uh, she's written many, many more, but we're not here to talk about any of that. We're here to talk about her single acting credit in the Jeff Foxworthy show. <laughs> um, that is why she's on. We want her to, to right, hear right, beat right. by beat about my last, working. My other life. Yeah, with, <laughs> with the Fox himself and, uh, and how that went. That's why she's on the show. Okay, well, I was his personal assistant for two years, which really? is how that came about. Yeah, my first uh, job, my first job in Hollywood uh, in the business, I was his assistant. My sister had worked for his agent and he had a baby and uh, they needed a babysitter. So I started babysitting for them. And then I was looking for a job and I had heard that Roseanne, and this is during the time that, you know, the Roseanne show was on. I had heard that Roseanne needed an assistant and I called them and I said, can I put you down as a reference? And everybody told me, you do not want this Roseanne job. You do not want this Roseanne job. And it was, it was paying something like at the time, and this is, you know, 20 years ago, at the time it was paying like $1,000 a week. And to me, who was making $250 a week working at this graphic design company as a receptionist, I was like, oh my God, I'm rich. You know, yep. if I get that. And everybody said, you don't want it. $10,000 a week is not going to be worth it. You do not want this job. But oh, come on. They're like, yes, go ahead, put us down as a reference. And then I never heard from the Roseanne job. I had no experience. Why is she going to call me? And then um, a couple weeks later, Jeff's wife, Greg, her name is Pamela Greg, but everybody calls her Greg, called me and she said, you know, Jeff is actually getting busier. He what would you think about coming on and being uh, an assistant for us? And I was like, sold in, when do I start? And because I already had the relationship with them. So I worked for him for two years. And that was when he had the sitcom. And first it was on ABC. ABC dropped it. And it was like at midnight one night, ABC dropped it at 12.01. NBC picked it up. And he was like everywhere. He was hosting the CMA awards and all this stuff at the time. So he was really on the rise and they wanted to try and capitalize on that. And it lasted one season on each network. And you got but, to be uh, actually act on the show. I was acting at the time and I could not get arrested. <laughs> I did an episode of, <laughs> I did an episode of America's most wanted like nice. reenactment. Yeah. I was in the movie, the bodyguard. And then, um, and then I got bumped up on set that day. And then I was on the Jeff Fox show. And that you was know, what's like, funny is of the three acting credits, <laughs> it's weird. The only one listed is the Jeff Fox yeah. show because the bodyguard. So it's a little bit of a bigger deal. And even Amer America's most wanted to some and extent. If you watch it, you deal. can see me in the mirror when they're on Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner are on the, a date <laughs> yeah. in the bar. Okay. And you can see me in the mirror right above the, um, thank God there was a mirror there because the camera was on my back the whole time, but you could see me in the mirror. That's <laughs> fantastic. Like, I bet, did you see it? Did life. you see it in the theater? And you were like, I that's did. me, that's me. I did. And my, with my family and we all started laughing and people were like, what's, <laughs> what is so funny? Like I, there's, there's nothing funny right now. <laughs> that's so. fantastic. And yeah. uh, I have to ask Jeff yes. Foxworthy larger than life 
scary. What is he like in person? What's that guy like in person? Let me say something about Jeff Foxworthy. So when I first met him, he was, you had to say, you know, that you might be a redneck guy. People didn't know who he was. He wasn't super famous. And then he just went through the stratosphere and became like one of the most famous comedians on the planet. From that time, he never, ever changed. He was the most amazing person when nobody knew who he was and the most amazing person when everybody knew who he was. Just a really solid foundation, kind, generous, caring, he and his wife, you know, and they were, their kids were very little at the time. And now they're, you know, married and one's having a baby, which is like slow down life, but really incredible people still talk to them to this day. And then when the show got canceled on NBC, they really wanted to go back to Atlanta. That's where all their family is. And they were in LA and doing a sitcom was actually like a pay cut for him, but it was the opportunity to have sort of a nine to five job and not be on the road all the time and be there when his kids woke up in the morning. So they really, once the sitcom got canceled, they wanted to go back to Atlanta and be closer to their family. And they wanted me to go with them. And at the time I was trying to be an actress and I was like, I can't go and live somebody else's life. And then I went back with them to get them set up when they moved to their new house in Atlanta. And then Jeff took me to the airport and I'm standing at the curb with Jeff Foxworthy and I'm sobbing my eyes out because I'm saying goodbye to these people who were my family for two years. And people are looking like, what is happening? Who is this random girl hugging Jeff Foxworthy and bawling her eyes out and saying goodbye? Wow. You know, it sounds a lot like my job with Roseanne. Very similar. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Very similar for sure. I got to know, and then we'll go back even before uh, the the whole. I had a full hour of Jeff Foxworthy questions. Is that not not okay? (laughs) I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe uh, 30 minutes will do. Um, What, what, is a uh, a personal assistant to a celebrity, to an actor, to a comedian. What does that entail? What is what is a day in the life of somebody like that? Because I imagine you just have to have the most amazing stories from doing something like that, and just the encounters you have. He was actually a really really easy one. He was very self sufficient. He didn't require a lot of attention. Some of them do, and he was really. Um, He was really easy. I mean, I did a lot of stuff for the family. I would go to the grocery store for them almost every day. They needed something at the grocery store. I'd do that. I answered all the fan mail, the scheduling, things would come in, you know, radio interviews and things like that would come in from the publicist. And I would make sure that he knew what his schedule was and and what he had going. And honestly, this was like in the really early days of the internet. This is like in... We we didn't rely on all that stuff that much. It wasn't email. It wasn't IMing. I mean, I think at the time I had a pager and it had a voicemail and they'd page me and say, and leave me a message. Like this was, you know, before the real, it was before iPhones and all of that. Wow. But I I answered all the fan mail. I kept the office organized. I'd be on set with him if he needed anything on tape night. I wasn't on set with him during like rehearsal and that sort of thing. Because the time that I was with him was the time of the sitcom. Gotcha. But I did get to, you know, with him, we, I got to fly on private planes. He liked to fly private so that he could be home from shows to see his, his kids in the morning and, you know, got a lot of really like fun opportunities. We went to Hawaii and they brought me with them and we flew on a private plane to Maui with his whole family. I mean, it was really an incredible experience that, you know, as a 20 something kid, I was like, how did I get here? You know, that is actually my question. That's a great segue because we do this with all of our guests. I want to know how you got there, Nina, where are you from? How did you find your way into show business? Uh, was it just wanting to be an actress or just give us a little bit about your background? So I um, grew up in Northern California in Silicon Valley area. And my parents were both from LA and they left LA when my sister was a baby. 
And um, for work, my dad got a job at Northern California. So we were here a lot because both sets of grandparents lived in LA. And every time I got off the plane to come see my grandparents, I was like, I'm home. I knew I would end up in LA someday. And I know people make a sort of a hobby out of hating Los Angeles. I love it. I love it. Every time I drive and see the Hollywood sign, I'm like, yes, that. This is where I was supposed to be. So I always did a lot of theater and dance. And in college, I was a journalism major. And I liked writing. And it came very easily to me. But I really liked performing. And I couldn't make, you know, so I thought I'm going to be an actress. And I tried to make things happen. And it just was really hard. I'm sort of a, a, a tricky type because I'm not the, you know, beautiful, gorgeous ingenue, and I'm not the character type. So it's really hard to place someone like me. And it was, I just didn't work very much and I couldn't make anything happen. So I wrote this play so that I would have something to act in and I got it produced and everybody would say, said to me after you're writing, you're writing, you're writing. Nobody said a word about my acting. I was like, okay, (laughs) I still, you know, for a long time before I had kids, I did improv and stuff. And that was a way, which I love doing. That was a way to sort of get that part of satisfy that part of me while still writing. Cause I always did love writing too. Um, but I didn't love writing articles. I didn't love writing fact. I, I like fiction. A little more, especially these days. Yeah, yeah. I pause you right there. How did you learn how to write? You know, uh, a script, whether it be for a play or uh, for the screen. Like, how did you read books, or did you just figure it out, see something, and try to mimic it? What did you do? Yeah, it started as that. I never took screenwriting classes, and um, I also, you know, after Foxworthy left, I um, worked as an assistant at Lifetime. So I was at Lifetime for seven years and that was the greatest education as far as writing scripts that I've ever could have asked for. Um, And I also still today work with a lot of the people that I met because the TV movie world is very small. And I credit my time at Lifetime with why I have the career that I have today because that afforded me a lot of opportunities. This is a business based on relationships and you meet people along the way and you're not a jerk, and then they want to work with you again. <laughs> that seems like Hallmark's motto, actually. It's just like, don't be a jerk, and we'll work with you again. Like, that's <laughs> recurring people that keep being brought back. So That's you, this business. It yeah. really is, because you spend a lot of time with people, and life's too short to spend time with people who are difficult or unkind. It, it just, it's not, it, it's not worth it. Yeah, no, I get that completely. I yeah. Uh, my question is, is that, so it seems like you, you know, you said the TV world's really small. Uh, mm-hmm. You have an up TV movie. You worked at Lifetime for seven years, but the overwhelming majority of what you've done that I see here is for Hallmark from a script writing standpoint. Yeah. What, what's the deal there? Is it, are you exclusively contractually with Hallmark now? Has that always I'm been not. the case? Is no, it just a situation I, where you guys work really well together? They have been so good to me. You know, I, I tried for 10 years, you know, the whole time I was at Lifetime, I was writing scripts, submitting them, trying to make something happen and hearing a thousand reasons why they weren't going, you're such a good writer, but here's why we're not going to buy your script or sign you or put you on staff on our show. And so when you get that, yes, mm-hmm. finally, after years of getting no's, it's like, oh, thank you, finally. And then working really hard to, to prove yourself, it took me you know, a good couple of years to really prove myself. And then they just kept giving me more and more and more work. And it's like an embarrassment of riches because you work so hard to want to be able to support yourself doing what you love. And somebody gives you this opportunity and keeps coming back and keeps coming back. And then it's like, they're so good to me. I don't need to go anywhere else. Yeah. I've had, I've, I had Netflix come to me. I met with them and it's just a different 
um, process. They want completed scripts. I don't have time to go and write a script in the hopes that Netflix is going to buy it from me. So it's, it's just been a perfect marriage for me right now at Hallmark. Yeah. I have a couple follow-ups based off of that answer right there. The first mm-hmm. is um, you said you were write, trying to write stuff for lifetime and you would send it in and it didn't quite work out. Uh, aside from Christmas time, lifetime and Hallmark are different as far as John. Well, I wasn't trying to write for lifetime because at the time it wasn't at all my sensibilities. I mean, I, I tend to be honestly a little more R rated and my sensibilities than Hallmark is is willing to go. And I was writing romantic comedies that okay. were feature feature films and some, you know, R-rated. I like the R-rated chip comedies, which I do have, you know, in my spare time, of which I have none. I have a couple of these R-rated girl comedies that I'd like to go and finish. But I, I have to go, you know, I had uh, Carol Mendelson, who's a showrunner, on um she she ran csi for many many years she's one of the creators of the other csis and she said to me one time she was trying to decide in maybe season three or four of csi she at that point you know it's like more money coming in from from uh, syndication and all that than you could ever ask for in a lifetime and she said you know i i came to this point where i thought at what point do you walk away? And she said, these waves don't come often in your career. They don't come often and you ride it until it's gone Mm. and be thankful for it. And that's how I feel about this, that it's like people weren't knocking down my door to say, please write this for us. It doesn't happen that way. So when you have this opportunity, um, and I was trying to do sitcoms for a while and, and romantic comedies and everything. And then Hallmark, at the time that I wrote my first movie, they really started amping up their production. Yeah. And it was, the timing was just perfect. I love it. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll, we'll chat more with uh, Nina Wyman. Does it, how does it work with with Hallmark right now? Because it seems like you said you've got more scripts that are, are st- you've already got a credit on, but they may not be on IMDb yet. Or do you ever just have to tell them no? Like what's like how many scripts are you working on at once, or how many in a year do you do for Hallmark? Well, I um, so during this whole quarantine, when production was shut down, they um, really got caught up because they have such an in- incredible volume that they couldn't they couldn't get ahead so it would be like they were always focusing on just what's the next upcoming season so during quarantine when they were shut down for three or four months they really got caught up on all the scripts and the development that had been sitting there so it was a crazy time and a lot that I had I had eight jobs and holy cow a lot got picked up and I have one that starts shooting tomorrow. Oh man. I have one that is supposed to start prep on Monday. We're waiting for the final go ahead to see if it's moving forward. Randy, who's the boss, um, was reading it this weekend, waiting to hear on that. I have one that aired this past Saturday and I have another that airs February 13th. And I had Christmas sweater in November. I mean, it was just a whirlwind. And so I'll be going down to just four jobs soon. But I turned oh, four, huh? over the quarantine as things were really amping up. I would say I probably had to turn down maybe 10 to 12 different things that people came to me to rewrite. Wow, yeah. It was awesome. really a crazy time because everybody was in that mode. So All the producers. Oh. You said rewrite. Are you getting, is homework sending you scripts that like spec scripts or scripts that they like, but don't love and you're turning them into the Hallmark thing that they love? Is that it's kind of not your... necessarily that? Um, I, and I don't have time to do any rewrites right now because I have to honor the commitments that I have. They have come to me with that where they just have something that they've, that's been kicking around for a while. Maybe they've had another writer on it and just couldn't 
get it there. And so they'd bring it to me to put it over the finish line, which is what happened with two for the win. That it's something that they'd had for a while. And I don't know what the reasons are, but they come to me and say, Hey, we need you to, to take this over the finish line here. Has the reverse ever been true? Have you ever had a script and then someone else has kind of punched it up afterwards? Yes, I had. Um, and, and it's funny cause I went to this when I first joined the writer's guild, they give you mentors and the mentors speak and they tell you, you know, this is, this is how this all works. And, and they said, everybody gets replaced. Everybody gets fired off a job. And then I was like, all right, there's mine. <laughs> you know, in the first time that it happened and it just, it, it and, and there was one, the one that starts shooting tomorrow. There was one point where I said to the producer, maybe I'm not the writer for this. Maybe it needs some fresh eyes because I just, it was so many drafts to get it there. And then finally, you know, sometimes you have to take a step back and you think about it and you go, what is not working and then I went, okay, this needs a course correction. You know, you don't always want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but sometimes you actually do need to when you're trying to save something that's not worth saving. And I feel like I'm just now getting a little bit better at trying to figure out at when do you say, okay, toss it and let's start over. And then when we did that, it got there. But it, it is sometimes you're so like tunnel vision, you're in it and then you just can't see the forest for the trees. And that ha it happens to everybody. And I think that people think that, you know, you get a story and you sit down and you just and you write it and then here's Hallmark movie, which is not the case at all. I mean, it, it often is four or five drafts until what you see on the air actually comes to fruition. Mm. You know, you, you say, there's like that, uh, you know, people that don't like that, like to make fun of these movies or watch them ironically or whatever might hear yeah. what you're saying and being like, <laughs> is it, is it really, is it really that hard? Cause it's the same story and over, over and over again. What are some things for you as a writer that maybe are, are the hurdles that you have to, to get over, get through, you're kind of making these stories. There is a formula, but you want it to be different. What are some of those hurdles for you personally? Well, I think that one of the problems that, that we had was everything had to be inside this box for a really long time. And I think now that there's so much competition out there and everybody saw that Hallmark owns Christmas, that Hallmark owns this genre, they all came after them really hard, the other streamers and networks that we've been given lately a lot more freedom to go there. The high highs and the low lows that we always had to kind of stay right here. We get to go there. We get to be a little bit funnier. I think you're going to start seeing this in the, in this year's movies. A lot of what you saw last season was stuff that like Christmas sweater that I wrote was went into development in like 2018 and then finally gets made for 2020. So this is stuff that's kicking around for a while and they've given us a lot of freedom to yeah. really go there, to be funny, to, and that's for me, the dramas are not necessarily my thing or my strength. I like the comedies. I like to go there and they're letting, you know, with the dramas, they're saying go there with that too. The mysteries don't have to be so benign. The mysteries are going to get a little edgy. Not, edgy is not the right word, but just well, we we pump it up. We have not like it's it's clear like the movies that have been made under this new regime, and we can say it's because of the streamings. But there was a regime change at Hallmark too, and we don't have to talk about that. But the movies that are being made now, definitely, I said in the review of Two for the Win, if they continue to let professional writers like yourself have room to breathe they may mess around and make a good movie one day like I, and i say that half jokingly because it's it's clear that i mean we'll talk about two for the win at the end of the show but there's there's a, some creative licenses starting to be given to the writers and the actors of these movies that just wasn't there before and it's um, fun it, yeah it's well i mean fun I said, right I, I, th this new movie got a chuckle at like a, a legitimate like laugh out of me at a specific scene in the movie 
are there, is there a specific, and I, I want to ask a version of this question five or six times, but is there one of your Hallmark movies that you look back on and go, man, I had all this great stuff in the script and they just had to Hallmark it up and they, and they had to make it just two in the box and it just didn't turn out the way I wanted it to turn out. Is, is, is there a specific movie that you've written that sticks out in that regard? Um, I can't think of a specific, um, well, yes, there is, but it was originally written as a feature and it's sort of shocking to me still to this day that this movie ever got made. And it was, I married who with Kelly Martin, where yeah, I read that on your IMDb. And I was like, well, I've never heard of this movie. Well, it's old. It was one of my, it was probably my third movie that I ever did. I written it as a feature. This girl who gets drunk in Vegas and for her bachelorette party and marries a guy that's not her fiance. And the fact that they actually made this movie was really shocking. And it was a lot edgier in their original version. But I think that they, um, that they took a risk with it. And, and, you know, it was not necessarily Hallmark of today, but, uh, it was originally a feature where there was a, there was a lot more comedic edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. But every script has a line that I think is really funny that gets cut. Every yeah. script. My favorite, I'll have a favorite line, and then I just have a document, a running document of a joke that I think is really funny. Even in Two for the Win, they thought it was too much where he's like talking about um, what happened to all the irons in the fire. The coaches originally, he says, what about so-and-so? Busy, so-and-so, retired, so-and-so, dead. You know, and they wouldn't let me do it. So I'm like, come on. That's funny. Paul Campbell, who's been on the show a few times, has like, he just started, he wrote, he and Kimberly Sustad wrote uh, Christmas by Starlight. And he said, I can't wait to see the finished product to see how many of these jokes I actually got to keep. They Mm -hmm. let me film them, but I don't know how many are actually going to be. Do you watch with the same anticipation? I texted him the next day and I said, because Paul and I are really good friends and, um, been to each other's houses and, and our kids play together when they were living in LA. We're really good friends. And so um, I texted him. I said, they let Paul be Paul. <laughs> and sometimes they, they don't want that. Um, got, there was, I think they're letting people go on a little more of an emotional journey. Now there was a thing where it's like, he can't be unlikable for even one second. He has to be the greatest guy in the world here and then we go on this journey and he's still the greatest guy in the world. So now maybe he can have a little bit of a flaw and then we get to find out that he's not that guy that you thought he was. So that that's another thing that I said, it was really fun to watch Paul really go full Paul. Do you ever do that with your movies? Do you watch like with bated breath to see if they kept certain lines in or do you know, do you get the finished product before it airs? So I watch every minute of dailies. Okay. And I watch the rough cut and sometimes they'll cut something out and I'll say, I really love this. Can we put it back in? Depending on the producer, sometimes they'll listen to me and sometimes they won't. Um, I I give my opinion and they can take it or leave it. That's probably why you you get so many jobs over there is because you're clearly very invested. Did that, did you get that uh, right away? The ability to watch dailies and be that, or how long did it take? How many movies in did it take to get that? I mean, it was a good couple of years in um, that I really got, you know, sometimes they're like, oh, we'll let you see it as a favor. And now I'm like, I watch every minute. Well, because also what's happened is I need to be watching that because on a couple of the movies, when you have an actor who's got the really good comic timing and gets it and there's not a lot of air and like Rachel Boston, she's just so boom, 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 boom. Every movie that I've ever done for Rachel Boston, and I've done a few, um, I've had to write extra scenes because it came in short. Mm-hmm. And I then I know what's been shot, how was it shot, how do I, what can I add now that will complement what we already have here. And on the days that we have left, where what location, and this is usually in conversation with the producers, but what we haven't shot in the office yet. So I can add a scene in the office on that day that might be a little light. And I know I've seen the scene that comes right before. So I know where emotionally these characters are to add something in. Yeah, makes sense. 
Um, what, what years did you uh, work at Lifetime as an assistant? So I quit in 2007. So it was 2000 to 2007. Okay. So early on, I, I, you know, you mentioned the kind of, you know, Hallmark's got this reputation now as being Christmas and being uh, kind of the, the, the perf, you know, when you think of this type of movie, you think of Hallmark Um, lifetime and Netflix, especially at Christmas time have really taken that formula and there's kind of this competition now lifetimes trying to uh, you know make as many movies as hallmark at christmas what what do you uh kind of make of that as someone who's writing these movies of this competition what's it like kind of on the inside knowing that you know there's there's a lot to be written for a lot of different companies and and as i imagine you have other writing uh friends that maybe write for have written for Mm -hmm. lifetime it what's it is there similarities differences in writing for a lifetime christmas versus a hallmark christmas and what can you speak to that so it's hard to say because i haven't written a lifetime christmas movie um And I think that they do have different parameters and different requirements that their stuff can be a little darker and ours is all very, very light. Um, But with everybody, Hallmark takes very good care of me. So there's no reason for me to go and write a Lifetime Christmas movie or a Netflix Christmas movie. and, and my, I don't know. I mean, my writer friends who've written for the other, I think that Lifetime likes to do a lot of non-union mm. and I'm union. Mm. So that's another thing. So I don't, most of my writer friends are in the writer's guild. So it's hard for me to speak to the Lifetime experience. Yeah. yeah. And for Netflix, again, they want completed, they want completed scripts. Yeah. They don't tend to develop stuff. Yeah. So, I get to, with the Hallmark thing, I get to go, you know, from beginning to end with them through the process. And I'm not sure if Lifetime develops in that same way either. I, I don't really know what their process is. Yeah, I'm, I'm just interested in, you know, Hallmark the last couple of years have announced 40. Last year they did 39 of the 40. This year they did all 40. Life, Lifetime's in the 30s now. Netflix is doing their thing where they have some that are kind right. of in the formula. Like how much Christmas is too much Christmas? You know, I, and That's I, a good I, question. I, I say that, you know, you know, Hallmark's ratings were good this year, but I feel like Lifetime is really betting hard on Christmas and their ratings just haven't been there. So I'm interested. No, to and there's the no future. concern about that in my, in my mind, you know, I, I Netflix, I, they don't necessarily release all of their data. So you don't really know what their success is. I mean, I think that they, their Christmas movies do pretty well, but I, I, I feel like lifetime is it doesn't concern me at all that they're coming after Hallmark because they're just not stealing enough of the audience away. I think that for Hallmark, the Christmas movies are appointment viewing and for lifetime, I think it's, Oh, I like that guy. So I'll probably watch that one. I don't know if it's as much appointment viewing as Hallmark is. But it's also so much, so, so much different than the rest of the year on lifetime where you're used to, you know, cheerleading uh you know babysitter kills somebody watch it and then at christmas time it's suddenly not that anymore so i wonder how much of that has to do with it that's that's interesting um uh so when you you mentioned now you get you kind of get assignments or you get hey can you work on this can you work on this at what point did it become that for you in your career because i imagine early on you were maybe coming up with ideas and writing those from start to finish. And I still do that. I do like, I really enjoy uh, doing originals, but then sometimes they'll send me a script and say, do you have time to rewrite this? It's going into production soon and I'll read the script and I'll go, I know exactly what to do with this. Sometimes it's easier to fix something that you didn't create than it is to um, fix your own stuff because you're so close to it. But it's it's very different um, for for um, the originals, and they change a lot. Like I'll initially pitch a certain idea, and it's 
completely different in the end than what it started. But I like, I really do like doing the originals a lot. And, you know, sometimes the rewrites are um, easy and quick and in and out and boom, you're done. And again, I don't have time to do that right now. But whenever I find myself needing a job, I told Randy, who's the one of the heads of programming, I said, I'm going to call you and see what you have for me. Because there, again, it's easier to see, to fix something that you didn't break. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Uh, I never watched a Hallmark movie before 2018. And I found out pretty quickly that there are kind of phases of these movies uh, and, you know, during, you know, from 2010 to 2020, when Hallmark just kind of grew exponentially in volume as well as in ratings, um, you know, early on 2010 to 2013, 14, the movies were a little bit more like fantastical, like had more like, you know, magic Santas and, and, and yeah. random things like that. And then by the time we get to like 16, 17, you are, it almost is like the box shrunk. And so from like 16 to 19, it really was about creating the same beats in every single movie. And the reason that I, I'm going through all that is because you wrote through all of that. You started yeah. in 2011. And, and so we went, what, when is there going to, when is the fatigue going to kick in? Yeah. 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 So when, like, when what was are, it like when's the audience going to say enough? Was and it, I think that with all the competition, that's what's happening. Is yeah. Okay, we got to be bigger, more different. It doesn't all have to be so grounded in reality. And I think that there is a little bit of a hunger for that from the audience. Mm, for that sure. you can be, you can have a little more fun with it now. What was it? Was it frustrating to feel like the box was shrinking though? Like in, in like 2016, 17, did you feel like you were having to write more and more specifically to a formula or was it the same for you? I, I had moments where I was like, this is the exact, I'd be writing. I go, this is the exact same thing I wrote last Christmas. I had <laughs> moments like that. Yeah. But you just power through it and you go, this is what, this is what they want. This is yeah. what I'm being paid to do. Yeah. And and you try as much as you can within the parameters to make it interesting, unique, and to put my own voice into it. And it also, you know, it, it really depends on the talent too. You know, there's some people that just come in and they will just elevate it. Yeah. yeah. From a script standpoint, there's been a big, not a, from a, there's been a big push from a movie standpoint to uh, and Hallmark to be more diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of that is um, put on you as a writer to work that into scripts versus how much of that is on casting? Um, I, I've always felt like every movie that I write is like insert actor here, unless it's specifically about an Italian family, or it could have always been anybody. It didn't, um, I I have one that airs on um, February 13th called Playing Cupid, which was adapted from a book and a scholastic book. And what we really loved about the book was that it was a Hispanic family, owned a cantina, um, single dad, raising his daughter. And one other thing that they, that they've been really open to us doing lately is the, these um, divorces, they don't all have to be widows anymore. Divorces um, where they're co-parenting. And the first time I ever got to do that was in Christmas sweater where they were doing the best they could together, despite all of the issues in their relationship to keep things normal for their daughter at Christmas. And that was something that I had not been able to do yet. Nice. Uh, let me ask you this, you, so we exist as a podcast and we're a thing and I, you know, we hopefully do things with the right attitude and with the right spirit in mind, but like, I, I give these movies a hard time. I do it on a regular basis. Uh, what is it like? I know. (laughs) Like, what is it? And I'm not asking if you listen to don't, don't embarrass me and tell me that you ever listen because then I just, am going to go hide in a, in a shell somewhere. But what is it like? Like, do you take something like what I do? seriously or do do you take do you take it as actual critique of the film or do you think i'm just trying to get a laugh off of something that wasn't meant for me 
So there's two things. There's two avenues to this. Um, I can't believe Chris Palaha didn't tell you that I texted him after you called Double Holiday dog turd because I texted him and I was like, I am done with him. Done. But no, sometimes here's the thing. There's two, there's two things. Sometimes you go, I want, I want to, how dare he? I worked so hard. And then there's the other side where you go, I have something on the air for them to critique. And that's huge. And I worked for 10 years to get something on the air and I'm not going to be for everybody. You know, sometimes I'm not for me. Sometimes it's not what I would necessarily watch. You know, it, it, it just, it's such a long haul to make this happen that you stop, you stop and you go, Oh, how dare they? And then you go, okay. Perspective. Awesome. No, I love that. It's a great answer. So I, I, the first comment, the first negative comment I ever got on Twitter, um, I just was like, Oh, do I respond? Do I, this was after my first movie. Do I respond? Do I say something? And then I stopped and I went, you know what? I had something on TV tonight that 3 million people watched. Right. Yeah. That this person got to hate. So, you know what? That's right. You're a success regardless of what Dan says. Hate You're away. a success. That's yeah. exactly right. So, it's it, it, you do get a little bit defensive. You go, oh, you didn't get it. This morning, I listened to um, your podcast because I wanted to be prepared for your games and stuff. I listened to the Christmas sweater episode oh, with boy. Busby. And there were a couple things that I was like, oh, well, they missed that. Oh, well, they missed <laughs> Oh, blah, blah, blah. And I felt like, you know, I feel when I get network notes, where you right. go, well, I explained that. I That's said right. that already. You didn't, obviously you missed it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you always want to defend your work because we all know what movie we're making. We all know, nobody's sitting here saying, I am making Schindler's List and I can, I've already written my acceptance speech. Like we all know what we're making and my feeling is the world is right now just the dumpster fire that keeps on giving. Mm -hmm. And if we can do what we do and bring a little bit of joy to people right now, when it's just such a hot mess and for two hours, drown out the noise, then I've done my job. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think people want. And I, I think that's a big reason why there is so much Christmas this year because they were able to accomplish, like, I could not believe that they actually pulled it off. When we were developing over the summer, I was like, there's no way. And they did it. They're machines. I mean, they probably all collapsed and were like sitting in a corner, like rocking in a straight jacket, (laughs) but they did it. And we all needed it this year. Yeah. Ironically, we, you know, we do, we're trying to do the same thing with the podcast, which is to make people laugh and to make people, you know, have something that they can bring some joy. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's just, we we get the same thing where people are like, you know, we don't like this. And so at that point, it's just like, yeah, it's not, it's fine. It's fine. Hallmark's not for everyone. And either of you guys guys talking about Hallmark. That's right. It works both ways. And you guys have certainly made an incredible name for yourselves. As much as I get defensive and go, ah, blah, 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 you know, I mean, we all are just trying to do what we can to, to make a living and get by and support our families and get that vaccine in our arms so we can get That's back right. to normal. That's what I'm talking about. I want to know, have you heard any, um, speaking about Christmas last year, they, they made it to 40. Um, have you heard any uh, scuttlebutt of what they want to try to do this year? Are they trying to up it at all? Yes. For sure. Wow. So one thing that's happening that's been happening Don't is tell me this, things what <laughs> that they're gonna they're gonna do more movies this year. Oh they'll no no no! It. Not up it as far as volume, okay. but up okay. it as far as content. Gotcha. So yes, um, no, not like, they're not gonna be like, oh, we're doing ninety. No, we don't need to put you guys in an early grave to watch and, and review ninety movies Christmas time. But what is happening right now is certain things that have been kicking around for a while um, that don't feel new or different or unique are getting dropped. Or they're saying you need to find a way to make this unique and fresh or they're not going to make it. So that's, um, and that's not just happening at Christmas, that's happening in all seasons. And they're, they're not being as specific with the seasons anymore. It's just like, 
oh, well, just write the movie, write the best movie that you can. And we don't have to worry. Like, there's only so many fall festivals that you can do in the world, right? So we'll just throw in a bunch of leaves and trees and have it during the fall, but it doesn't have to be so specific and so seasonal related because I think that also painted us into a little bit of a box where it's like, well, what's something that happens in the fall? Well, okay. How about just a really awesome romantic comedy that just takes place during the fall? Mm. Yeah. And that's, that, and they're like, don't worry about the seasons. Just write the best movie that you can. Love it. And we can have more fun and we can be, we can go there. I love and it. And it's been really fun. And the ones that I'm working on and the one that I have starting tomorrow is a lot of fun. It's called breakup Boot Camp, And who's in it? I don't know if I'm allowed to say, well, I mean, you know, there's only one way to find out is tell us anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just say this because I think they're going to probably announce it soon and everybody's going to find out, but it's like, I would say the guy is the biggest Hallmark guy right now. Andrew Walker. No. Okay. <laughs> Okay, Tyler Hines. No, Tyler Hines already in one right now. No, it's not Tyler. Man, this is interesting. He is, I would say, probably their number one guy right now. Wow. If you look at when people say, who's your favorite? And and like these, you know, threads, like who's your favorite Hallmark actor? I would say this guy's name comes up more than anyone. Okay, yeah, there it is. Okay, fair enough. Could be. He's been on the show. He's a good dude. For sure, for sure. Uh, let's take a quick minute to recover from that big news uh, and take a quick break here on Deck the Hallmark. We'll be right back. Let me ask you this. Th- this will not require you to divulge any information that, that it could be secret, but it will uh, make you make a, you know, a call on your own work. What, which one of your Hallmark movies is nearest and dearest to your heart? Like you hold a special place in your heart for you just are so, so proud of it, or it's your favorite, even if it maybe isn't the best one, it's just your favorite of the ones that you've written. Okay. So the last bridesmaid okay. is definitely because, um, first of all, I got to make a movie with two of my dearest friends and got to be in Canada, making a movie together, developed it together. That was with Rachel Boston and Paul Campbell. We've not seen that one. You haven't seen it? Nope. Um, It was a lot of fun. And it, it was all around a great experience. I'm really proud of how the movie turned out. And just making a movie with two of my closest friends was like, this is, and, and being in Victoria together. And also the, one of my favorite producers to work with, which is Joel Rice and Muse and Scott Clayton, who's his head of development. Like we all were up there together and it was just all around an incredible experience. So that was one of my favorites, but also Destination Wedding, being in Mexico for a week and, um, with Alexa and Carlos Panavega and Preston Vanderslice and Andrew. Um, oh my God. Now I've just totally spaced on Andrew's last name. It's just so bad. Andrew Dunbar and Andrea Brooks. And we just had a blast. Man, sounds like it. Is so that a- one, like the experiences yeah. are, are a lot of way, why these things hold a special place in my heart. Is there any of these movies that what what's which one has been your the most disappointing to you that you've written when you well, saw I show? think my very first one okay because I don't know it got somehow it got rewritten in I was non-union I didn't know the process yet and it was with, in the old LLP days um and actually, Randy Pope, who's one of the heads of Hallmark, was my producer on that one. And he used to work for LLP. In the LLP days, you didn't, they had a lot of creative control. That was Larry Levinson Productions. They had a lot of creative control over the Hallmark movies. So early on, I didn't know, I didn't know that it had been rewritten. I went and visited the set. I thought I was going to give birth on the set because I was like super, super pregnant. And, um, And I just didn't know quite what to expect or what was happening. And so watching it, I was like, why did they change this? Why did they change that? Like a lot of things got changed and I just wasn't prepared for it. Mm. So I didn't, 
I didn't understand it. And, and I felt, I felt like it was kind of dramatic mm-hmm. and I didn't understand that either when it was like a really Interesting. light thing. So, but it was also my first experience and, and it was a learning experience for me because you have this vision in your head of what this movie is. And then somebody else gets to take ownership and the director, it's now their vision. So it was a lesson to me in letting go and letting it be what it's going to be. It's not going to be ever what you envision in your head. And 99% of the time, it's actually better. You go, oh, I didn't even imagine that. So that one was, I think it was just because I was a newbie that I didn't know what to expect. Interesting. Um, we want to talk about two for the win. I would love to. All right. um, we got, we, we have some questions. We have some questions. Okay. Um, my, my, here's my biggest thing. And okay. I, and I just want you to know that you have permission from me as a viewer to, to, to do this. So early on in the movie, we see this advertisement of Trevor Donovan, and he has no shirt on, and he's doing the flex, right? Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, the auction's happening, and, and they're like, do the flex, do the flex. And I think for sure this is going to be the moment where Trevor Donovan finally just takes off his shirt. He tears flex. it open like Superman. Yeah. I want you to know, as a viewer – I'm giving you permission to push that envelope. I like to think that you wanted to do that and Hallmark said no. So it never occurred to me. You just, okay. you just, you just, you that just is an envelope I was not even thinking to push. I'm going to give them this note. I'm going to pass it on. Yeah, pass it I on. have a feeling that there's quite a few people in the audience who would be very open to this. I mean, you've already seen them shirtless earlier on in the movie. And yeah. it doesn't right. look terrible. Without he's a shirt. Good. Let's just be fair here. He's, he doesn't look terrible. That's right. He we, doesn't look terrible. We got to talk to Trevor uh, on the show. We also went to the set of USS Christmas. We're in South Carolina. Oh, so we wow. To go, we yeah. Set and uh, meet him. He's a super great guy. And we yeah. know that he was a professional skier at one time. He was. He uh, did all his own skiing. Was that uh, – because when he talked to us about it, he seemed like it is a thing that it was in his past. He had an injury. He burned out on it. He, he wasn't super re- like wanting to talk. Was it a hard sell to get this guy back into skiing or was this a, a draw for him to get to ski in a movie? So when he was attached, when I came on board, he oh, okay. was already attached right. to it. So I don't really know the genesis of the project. Um, there was another writer and I was brought in to, uh, again, take it, just take it over the finish line. Yeah. And, and th- there was a book that I never even read that this was based on that I didn't even know about this book and it I the project had been kicking around for a while and they were ready to make it so I came on board and um and did did the final production pass on it and it was substantially different the story the general story didn't change but the way that it unfolded did in some ways. Um, but I don't really know. I, I, I don't know if he was attached from the get-go because he was a skier. Hmm. You know, I just come on and I just like keep my head down and I do my job <laughs> and, and I don't always know. I mean, sometimes I do go in and pitch with talent and I do like working with talent. I had a great time working with Ashley Williams on um, Christmas Sweater. That was my fourth movie with Niall. Wow. And... Um, and Ashley would call or text me and say, well, let, let's think of something to say here after this. And we'd pitch ideas and a lot of fun. I mean, she is just a delight on screen and off. I know you guys have interviewed her before. She's, She's just couldn't have loved her more. Let me ask you this. Back to the movie. Um, okay. yes. The girl, uh, Nancy Sieber, the, the, this girl skier that wants Charlotte yes. Sullivan to be her coach. Yes. Why is she there and not skiing in the winter? Is the winter classic a male only event? Like why? So is I, had put it, I had put it in that it was, and then we just kind of never really addressed it again. Okay. Um, uh, because I think they didn't want to say, Oh, it's a men's yeah. event, but yeah, we had her there um, training with Hunter Davies coach, which you know, sometimes there's only one line that explains yeah. this stuff and it's easy to miss yeah. and they miss it. Um, 
they miss it when they're reading the script sometimes too. And you have to explain it a little bit better, but, um, yeah, she was there to be the foil. And is, and is she from France? Because she sounds Canadian American no. and they, and they say, they well, all sound Canadian American. <laughs> but then she says, he says, we got to go to Zurich and then we got to go to her home in France. Like, She's got a place in the course of all. Okay. Got it. That's where she trains. Yeah. That's what she likes to train. Another studio <laughs> that I have a question about Lars Edmund. Uh, he doesn't get a line in this movie, but it, the announcer says that this guy has the most first place finishes in the history of the tournament. That sounds like a pretty big deal. Like this guy should be a pretty big part of this movie in this rivalry. And he's just kind of like a, a throwaway. Like he's a pretty big deal, right? So that is a good point. And that is a line that I wrote in post-production because as we were doing the race, they wanted, they were like, can you just write like little blurbs for each skier yeah. as they come across? Cause we wanted to like build the tension. So you just said he actually had more first, first place finishes than Trevor Donovan or anybody else in the movie. Um, I think I meant in total, okay. not just at the winter classic. Okay. Wow. But I That's could good. have been more specific about that. He's still good. He's still good. What He's can good. you tell me about the woman who won the auction <laughs> that she she had thirty five hundred dollars to throw down on on that? Who who is she? What's what? Okay, so there was, What's her backstory? There was a whole thing throughout that we actually lost. That was um, they keep talking about these twins. The sisters keep talking about the, the, these twins are back. They're back. Oh my gosh, it's your turn. And we caught that scene. And then we ended up cutting the whole runner. It was actually really funny in the script. Um, but we cut the first mention of them. So then we sort of had to cut the whole runner. It didn't quite play anymore. Um, there were three mentions of these twins that they were like, oh, you get the twins this time. You get the twins this time. Um, and they were all like, no, no. And then she says, you got the twins. I'll buy you lunch to one of her uh, instructors. And they're fighting over who is still. So they um, talk about how awful they are. And these twins are very, I think there is still a mention in the restaurant scene where she says, oh, they're very intense. These two twins, they come up every season. And one of our instructors almost quit. And she, at, there's a scene that we cut that she says, I'm looking forward to Monday. I'm going to bring my boys. Um, I'm going to bring my twins with me. And it's the, it's, she's the mother of these awful oh, twins. Gotcha. Yeah. And all of that got cut out, which is actually was really funny, but because we lost the first scene where mm. they really mention it, it oh, didn't goodness. play. Yeah. Well, when she says, when they're like, you bid against yourself at 3,500 and she just kind of goes, it's for the kids. I really thought that line was really funny. Like she's <laughs> bidding against herself because it's for the kids. I mean, come on. Why, why else would you? Um, but I got one more question and we can go to rapid fire. Is that, is that fair, Brand? All right. Um, this, and this could be editing or filmmaking, Nina, it, it, I, but I have to know we are in 2021 right now. And I know Hallmark gets a hard time for technology and I, I get it. Um, but she, uh, Charlotte Sullivan's character has a conversation with the, the skier about coaching her. And she says, just think about it. Then she, we, we leave. And then the next thing we see is she's calling Trevor and asking him if they can talk. I got to talk to you right now. And she's calling from a corded phone in her office. And I, I just, I'm curious. She talks with Nancy and then she doesn't text him. She doesn't call him. She goes back to well, her she office. She goes and she's looking at the pictures of them on the wall. And she still doesn't break out so her cell phone. that was supposed to be one of those show us, don't tell us moments where she, she's really yeah. contemplating. And this is what I want to do. And he wants to stay. And this is my chance to yeah. get my dream. And sometimes those moments don't always resonate. Well, <laughs> and clearly when, we didn't on this in this instance. Well, especially when you don't take out your cell phone, you go to your office corded phone in the dark and call him. That's the part that I didn't understand is like, you got all these ways to reach this guy and you went to the most landline analog 
a part of the of the whole movie to do it. Which didn't well, make any you sense know, when me. I was writing it, I didn't go. She picks up the corded phone <laughs> off the desk. And that goes, was really <laughs> what I was getting to. I, yeah, you know, a rotary phone. When you did it, it was a rotary phone, yeah. right? Yeah. They, I guess they worked with what they had in the, in the location. You know, they don't dress these locations. They get a ski school and that's, yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I, I can't give you the, the background on that decision. Hate it, but that's okay. We'll give you a break. Okay. That wasn't me. No, 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 no. no. Uh, let's do rapid fire. We uh, each get to ask you three questions uh, about anything and you have to answer them. It's not about speed, really. It's about honesty. And okay. I think honesty yeah. is the best policy. I'll start. Um, how hard is it for you to watch things as a writer? Like for me, as someone who dabbles with music, I it's hard for me to like just listen to something uh, without picking it apart. Do you find that uh, is the is the case for you as a writer? I find that what I do more often than anything else is go, oh, I wish I had thought. I wish I could write like that. That That's the kind of writer I want to be. More than picking it apart and going, that's bad, which I do sometimes. I have my moments, but I go, I just was watching Bridgerton and I was like, oh, this is some good writing. Like I just... Oh, I want to be, it makes me want to be better. Wow. Yeah. What a great answer. Um, you said that you were really uh, big into trying to get a script made, a feature script made, a female driven R rated comedy. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite, like prototypical, this is the go-to female driven R rated comedy. Like R rated. Um, or just anything that's a little in that vein. It doesn't have I mean, to like, be. What, what, what is my like ideal that I go every time I see it, I go, I wish I wrote that while you were sleeping. You know, I I wish I wrote that. Um, I have, I absolutely have those moments. If it's, if you're talking about like R rated, um, anything Cameron Crowe, I go, Oh, I wish I wrote that. Even Elizabeth town. Well, let's, (laughs) let's be more specific. Almost famous Jerry Maguire. Oh my gosh. You know, I I wish I wrote that, you know, that those, those, yeah. Great. What is a, uh, a a day in the life for you quickly? Like how do you, I imagine you have to schedule out blocks of when you're working on, if you have four things you're working on right now, how does it work? Well, it's changed in the last year. It used to be take my kids to school, go to the gym, come home, start writing. <laughs> now it's wake up, <laughs> shower, uh, my nanny gets here, who is the most amazing person in the world. She's right there. And she is like, I say she's my nanny and she also takes care of my kids. <laughs> she's incredible. She gets here. She gets the kids set up right here to do school. Um, I, I go back into a room by myself and start working. I mean, I don't even have like that motivation to work out as much that I did. It's just really, it, it's, I'm looking forward to getting back on that sort of schedule routine, but I really just like, I have to get to it because I have been so busy and lately everything has been under such a gun that it's like, okay, I'm just going to start right now because everything has had to be completely rewritten and it needs to be done by Friday. Mm, Like that's been my schedule since before Thanksgiving. I spent... Oh, go ahead. I spent that whole week of Thanksgiving rewriting, like doing page one rewrites, which is a complete overhaul of two different scripts. Wow. One was Breakup Boot Camp, which we finally got there. And then one was the other one that I'm waiting to see if they um, pick it up. All right. Uh, what is the, when, you know, COVID is finally over and we're safe to move about the planet, what is the go-to Nina Weinman meal in Los Angeles. Oh, sushi with lots of sake. Yes, I love it. Which, which, what's your sushi? Now, Chris Palaha took us out to sushi when we came to town. Yeah. Name of the place. Where, where, uh, where is your favorite sushi place? Everybody says Nobu. Is that, is that, is that the go-to? Uh, not for me. Um, I ha- I, my favorite place, there's one right over here. It's called the, it's called, um, there's one in Westwood called The Room that I love. There was one over here. It got, uh, it shut down. And so now there's only the one in Westwood. 
And then there's also Boss Sushi, which is really close. We went actually in October on my birthday. I said, we're going to sushi. And they had outdoor dining. And that was the first time we had been to a restaurant in like eight months. And we sat outside and I had sushi and sake. But I actually love this one place in the Valley. It's an all-you-can-eat sushi place. I'm listening. made to order. It's not like one of those gross buffets. And they have these green baked mussels. It's my favorite thing in the world. And... I just want to go to Midori and have all you can eat and all the sake in the world and these mussels. Wow. I can't wait to go to sushi. Um, What's your uh, go-to guilty pleasure snack? Oh my God. Lately it's been, (laughs) my nanny said chocolate. Lately it's been chewy sweet tarts. Okay. Yeah. I'm in on those for sure. I've been all about the chewy sweet tarts. When it was, when it was Christmas, there were just so many cookies and things that I was just like cookie after cookie after cookie, but I I love me some chewy sweet tarts. I like the sour chewy sweet. That's what they are. The little, I'm like last night we were watching TV with the kids or we were playing uh, on the switch and I just brought out the giant bag of chewy sweet tarts and we all were passing it down the couch and playing Mario Kart. (laughs) Man, that's winning right there. All right. So I know all the actors that are on Hallmark are wonderful and they're great and we interview them and they're just salt of the earth, but you're writing a Hallmark movie and the two leads are both Hollywood A-list leads. Who is it? Who, who are you picking for that movie? Um, Hollywood A-list leads. I am picking Chris Pratt. Okay. And I mean, I feel like she's a little old for it, but Sandra Bullock is just to me. I will say Reese Witherspoon. Okay. Say Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. I love yeah. it. I love it. I love it. Well, Nina, thank you. Can't wait to write a movie for them. Yeah, Yeah, I think you're doing it. Uh, Nina, thank you so much for joining us. So much fun. So much insight. Uh, Thanks for having me. I find the the stuff behind the screen uh, just as, if not more, interesting than the stuff uh, on the screen. So thank you so much for giving us uh, some behind-the-scenes scoops. Uh, Tell everybody how they can follow you on on the social medias and all that good stuff. Uh, I think on Instagram, I'm uh, Nina Weinman Swift and Twitter, I'm N-I-B-E-W-E, which is the first two letters of Nina Beth Weinman. <laughs> I couldn't get N-B-W. So people are always like, what does Nibaway mean? <laughs> it's just, oh, Nibaway. Nibaway. But it's just N-I-B-E-W-E. Fantastic. I love it. Uh, Nina, thank you so much. Watch, uh, what is it, Cupid something on the 13th? Playing Cupid, Playing Cupid, February 13th. Keep an eye out for Breakup Boot Camp in April. I don't know the exact date yet, but we start shooting tomorrow. Wow, turning around pretty quickly. And more to come. More to come, as always. Nina, thank you. And Thanks, from and I and Panda in the septic tank, may we be the first this year to wish you a Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Thanks, guys. Thick the Hallmark is a Bramble Jam podcast. It's produced by Brandon Gray and presented by Friendly TV. Our lovely set is decorated by Plum Home Decor. You can check them out at plumonmain.com. For more information on Bramble Jam podcast, go to bramblejampodcast.com. And to hear every Bramble Jam podcast ad-free, go to bramblejamplus.com. Come.